Hello and welcome to WellBytes, a Michigan Wellness Council podcast. Our mission at Michigan Wellness Council is to inspire implementation of leading workplace wellness strategies through thought leadership and education. In this podcast series, we interview people in the field to offer different perspectives and insights. I am Rita Patel, the Executive Director of Michigan Wellness Council and your host today. Our guest today is Laura Putnam, who is the author of Workplace Wellness That Works, and she's also the CEO and founder of Motion Infusion, a San Francisco-based well-being provider. Um, lately, her work has been particularly focused on activating managers to become multipliers of well-being, and we'll be fortunate enough to have her come here in November uh, to do a live training as part of our two-day conference. Welcome, Laura. How are you doing today? Thanks, Rita. Great to be on your show. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I'm, we're really happy to have you. Um, we want to make sure people get exposed to the work you're doing because it's really impactful um, from everything that I know and have been hearing. And our, my intro to you is really short because I want to hear from your own words um, uh, more about you. So um, before we get into the details, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field? You bet. So I have a different background from most who are in the field of workplace wellness. My background is everything from uh, I was a nationally competitive gymnast and then a professional dancer. I also worked on Capitol Hill, actually, as part of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I was staff, which I know has been in the news a lot lately. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have been uh, was an urban public high school teacher. So. I have combined those experiences to start uh, engaging people in well-being um, when I founded Motion Infusion in 2008. And what I have found has been particularly effective has been taking a lot of the, the best practices that I developed as an educator and now applying those practices toward the conundrum of both behavior change and culture change and have been finding that that has really uniquely positioned me in the field. Very, it's a very um, interesting background for the work that's needed in this field. So I um, briefly mentioned in the intro uh, which are um, uh, the direction that your work is moving in. Um, do you want to talk more about your current role and um, how you're splitting your time or what, you're, what, you, what you are focusing on and want to focus on in the future? So. Absolutely. So the primary focus in all of the work that I do is really encouraging and empowering people, no matter where they're positioned within the organization, to really see themselves as agents of change and to think less about starting programs of well-being and more about how can I, in whatever position I'm in, think about starting a movement. Mm -hmm. So that's the key element, I would say. That's kind of the, the, the core element of everything that I talk about, and that certainly is foundational to my book, Workplace Wellness That Works. More specifically, uh, the last couple of years I've been really starting to focus more on uh, the manager. And there is evidence to suggest that the manager is actually uniquely positioned within the workplace to be 
effectively either a gatekeeper or a multiplier of well-being. And according to Gallup, the manager alone likely accounts for up to 70% of the variance of their team members' engagement both with their work but also with well-being. And so there is just a mountain of research that is really um, starting to come to the forefront showing that managers play such an essential role and that has really been overlooked to a large extent. There's been a lot of emphasis placed on engaging senior leaders. And that's important because senior leaders certainly set the tone and they allocate resources. But effectively, managers are the ones who either give permission or don't give permission to their team members to really engage with those well-being initiatives. So case in point is that 50% of organizations now offer some type of flex time, and only 12% of those employees actually take advantage of that flex time offering. And what the research suggests is that it really comes down to the manager and to, that determines the extent to which people take advantage of that. So in, studies have shown that when managers really are more proactive about encouraging their team members to take advantage of the flex time, then people tend to really start to take advantage of it more. So that's, this is really true across the board, whether we're talking about flex time or we're talking about really helping people to feel like they can take care of themselves when, when they're at work. So this is a, we've really been focused on this and, and the program that we developed a couple of years ago is called Managers on the Move. And we actually have research showing that's, um, that's been published in two years in a row in the HERO proceedings showing that when you activate managers in this, in this basically a leadership training program for managers, that it positively impacts not only the participating managers, but also their team members as well in the areas of engagement and well-being and, um, and also uh, productivity. I love the statistics that you share because um, I think that's really important for people to hear um, because mm -hmm. I, think, I think we all know this intuitively, especially if we work for um, uh, any sort of company. That there's like this like stuck point sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, um, uh, and it's so important to be addressing the managers in addition to the C-suite when you're doing um, change work. So, um, so to me, you know, I normally what I ask at this point is like, uh, what trends do you see in the near and long, mm -hmm. long term affecting um, workplace well-being? And I feel like you've identified um, a major Absolutely. one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that there's really a growing, I mean, there's two big trends that I see that's been happening for quite some time. Um, one is, uh, uh, thankfully, uh, a transition from focusing so much on the individual and more on changing the culture and the environment around the individual. And so uh, the way I like to frame it is while we often hear the expression that we are creatures of habit, I would argue that in fact we are more creatures of culture. Mm. And so if we really want to see more, um, it, you know, if we really want to see more extensive behavior change, we would be wise to focus more on the surrounding culture and the surrounding environment uh, than on the individual. And so tying that back to the manager, 
I really see a lot of possibility, and, and I, you know, I see this both in the research, but also in our own practice. And we've brought this workshop to um, um, dozens of different organizations across the country, and uh, in a range of industries, from manufacturing to city government to education um, to uh, uh, higher education. Um, we're, what we're seeing is um, that again, you know, that these managers can really start what I like to call a middle out movement. So we've talked a lot about a top down initiative or a bottom up initiative, but this is really a middle out one. And so the message that I'm sharing with these managers is this idea that no matter what's happening in the larger organization, you as a manager have the capacity to be able to carve out a little oasis of well being for your team. And in doing so, you can effectively create a pocket of excellence, and that can create this ripple effect uh, and really generate, a, a, again, a middle-out movement uh, that can have influence both up and down. And so I, I see a lot of promise in that. And then the other piece, um, the other trend that I see continuing is just a growing understanding that health is much more than the sum of our physical risk factors, but rather we need to take into consideration multiple dimensions, not just physical, but also things like financial and emotional and um, career and um, uh, social. And again, these are all domains that a manager really plays, you know, when people come to work, a manager has the biggest impact on their well-being than any other factor. And uh, so we know, for example, that people don't leave their job. By and large, they leave their boss. Uh, mm -hmm. And so again, uh, you know, this is a, a message that, um, you know, that I'm really trying to help managers to understand just how important their role is. I mean, there's even some frightening research showing that when it comes to the health of your heart, your boss matters more than your doctor does. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really powerful. I'm just, I'm listening to you and I feel um, you're really shaping the role of a manager into a position of empowerment. And I love yes. how um, you really frame um, the way people can think, you know, from, from what you said in the beginning, managers on the move to the middle out movement, pockets of excellence. And, you know, they really do have the power to affect every part of um, the people that they work with their lives. So um, I think that can be inspiring. And um, it really is. And I, I and I think that a lot of these managers, they have, you know, they feel like there's so many things that are outside of their control. And we actually do an exercise during the workshop in which I ask them to identify all those things that are outside of their control that have a real impact on their well-being as well as the well-being of their team members. And so those include things like, you know, what our pay is or what's happening politically or um, the, you know, unions, you know, all these things or people's attitudes, whatever it is. And then I, and then I have them then think about, okay, what's within my sphere of influence? What are the things that I can do as a manager to make a difference? And, um, and I really help them to understand that by simply engaging in three basic behaviors, which is do, speak, and create. So do, I lead by example. I start with myself. 
speak, I think about engaging my team members and well-being, literally one conversation at a time. And then create is what are the systems and rituals and norms that I can create for my team, that might be something as simple as, you know, we begin every meeting, team meeting, with naming three good things. And that seems so simple, uh, and yet it can be really impactful. And it can be, I mean, research shows that if you just name three good things for six, every day for six weeks straight, that it will rewire your brain to be more optimistic. So this seemingly simple little practice can be something that can really help to build a more resilient team. So while the manager may not be able to control things like, you know, the workload, for example, they can help people to be more resilient in that in the face of that workload. And they can also do very simple things like have a, a really committed practice of writing thank you notes and saying hello to their team members and paying attention to the things that are happening in their team members' lives so that in these small ways that manager day in and day out is doing small things to help to enhance the quality of life for their team members. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, 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 the message. I mean, that's what well-being really is in its truest sense is am I healthier and happier because of where I work and because of who I work with or am I less healthy and um, less well because of those factors? Mm-hmm. Um, very well said. I just love um, the do speak create, especially the create part because, well, one, you're using the word create, um, and mm-hmm. I think that builds confidence in people that they can be generative. And just in that, you're, um, you know, you're you're giving people ways to structure um, where all this can happen. And um, I, someone just said this to me right before we started the interview. Is just like um, the big happens in the small. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean. You really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But I, I was going to say create, but you're really providing that um, way, um, building that mm-hmm. path for people. So it's mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, I'm wondering, uh, you know, so you've done, uh, you've been working with um, a lot of different organizations, and I'm assuming different sizes and different types of people. And you said mm-hmm. different industries. Um, Mm-hmm. Is anything really stood out, like surprised you, um, or, or, um, and or, um, uh, did the people you were working with surprise themselves somehow? Hmm. Um, or stands out? Question. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that has been really surprising for me has been I've been starting to do more and more work internationally. So I just returned from Kuwait, where I was keynoting at a happiness conference there, actually. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked to find out um, that nearly 43% of the population there is obese. Mm. So I think we think of this still, these issues around um, lifestyle-related conditions and disease as being something that's really more U.S.-centric, um, but really what, um, what we're seeing is that this, these rates of, of lifestyle-related conditions and disease seem to be happening at an even faster rate in other parts of the world. So in places like Mexico and Brazil and India and um, the Middle East, especially in the, the Gulf region, we're just seeing in China, um, you know, we're just seeing exploding rates 
of um, lifestyle-related issues. I mean, when I, another thing that I learned when I was in there over there in Kuwait is um, the one of the sponsors of the event, the so-called Hadi Clinic. They spoke about how seventy um, percent of the patients who are coming in are on, a, on antidepressants. Mm. So we're just, uh, you know, I'm just really. Um, saddened by that, but also really hopeful that I hope that this can serve as an impetus for us to start looking at this as an international issue and that we can start to look for ways to be able to share best practices across borders on an international mm-hmm. level. Like what can we learn from countries like Denmark, which has been you know, shown to be the happiest country in the world? What are some of their best practices that we can apply here, for example? Mm-hmm. I was actually just at an event last week, and um, there was people there from Denmark, Denmark, and they were talking about how workplace well-being is a very different stage than where we're at. So I think there's definitely mm-hmm. things to learn. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know um, one of your ten points um, in the workplace wellness that works book is about going global, and I think it's really important to think about. Um, not just what we can move, uh, you know, beyond where we're at, but also just thinking about in terms of geographically, internationally, what we can learn from each other and um, how we're all in it together. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, um, I, do you, in terms of what um, you you how you work with um, organizations, does it matter um, if they're starting out um, with this idea? Of, in terms of just thinking about what they want to do with workplace wellness and well-being, or, or if they're established, they have a multi-year program, or it, it's it's um, it's uh, it's adaptable no matter where you're at. Yeah, I, I would say it's adaptable. I mean, I think I have a very human kind of no-nonsense based approach to well-being, mm-hmm. and um, I like to simplify and ask really basic questions, um, things like do you as a leader or as a manager have the energy that you need to be an effective leader and do your team members have the energy that they need to be uh, a high-performing team? So it's basic questions like that that I think any organization can think about no matter where they are in their development in terms of promoting well-being. I, I actually frankly find that a lot of the companies that have more robust wellness and well-being initiatives actually in some cases are having to do a little bit of unwinding um, where they, for example, might have an incentive-laden approach and um, some of them are are realizing, whoa, maybe this isn't such a good approach to be taking or maybe they're really, you know, they've been very heavy on biometric screens and health risk assessments, um, which to me are really counter to um, my step four in Workplace Wellness at Works is this idea of starting with what's right and really helping people to start from a, a, a positive place as opposed to a negative place. And unfortunately, I think a lot of these wellness programs that have been around for a while really s- deplete people and uh, make people f- feel shame. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that there's too many examples of that. I mean, you know, certainly there's glaring examples like Penn State where it really um, it, it ends up backfiring. 
um, when you take this kind of heavy incentives, um, you know, let's identify your risks and tell you all the things that are wrong with you, and we want you to share all kinds of private information um, and kind of scare you into making change. Um, I mean, the research just shows that uh, not that many people are motivated by fear. Um, mm-hmm. But rather, people are more motivated when they feel a sense of hope and optimism and they feel like that they're part of a movement and they're inspired. And, and that's actually really hard to do. And um, so at any rate, um, you know, the, in terms of the work that I do, I think, you know, very simply, um, I, I help people to kind of think about this in a really, in a more thoughtful way. And so whether it's an organization that's just starting, so sometimes I might be brought in, um, like, for example, I was brought in by the, the uh, senior leaders at Penske, and they were kind of trying to figure out their well-being strategy, and they brought me in um, to do a, a short uh, session with them. So it might be something like that, or it might be a, a longer training, like the one that I'll be doing with you all in November um, and then, and so that's kind of the workplace wellness that works. Like, how do we take, kind of look at this from an organizational level? And then there's the Managers on the Move program, which I've been talking a lot, a lot about, um, which we've been doing particularly in partnership with HealthStat, which is an on-site clinic provider, um, and bringing this program to a lot of their clients to really activate their managers there to be those multipliers of well-being, but also to be the conduit to really help people to take advantage of the on-site clinic that they have access to. And then the third area is um, providing programs that are kind of for anybody and everybody, which are really focused on this concept of me at my best. What is me at my best? And what do I need to do to be me at my best? And kind of framing well-being in in the context of that. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, basically all the stuff that I do, I do tons of keynotes and um, lots of half-day, full-day, and two-day workshops, training workshops. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I love the, um, the strengths-based, appreciative approach that you have. Um, and one thing that came to mind while you were talking um, in all the different ways that you can adapt what you do um, mm-hmm. is that you're, in a way, a community organizer. <laughs> um, and it's like you're really organizing, like, groups of people to um, not just their individual but collectively towards well-being and I think that's really wonderful so that's uh, exactly right and and that's kind of the teacher in me I don't do any one-on-one coaching for example um, mm-hmm. at this point we don't have any um, technology-based solutions not to say that we won't move there in the future but basically um, you know I do what I did as a teacher I engage groups <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know now instead of teaching history I'm teaching ideas related to promoting well-being in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. So um, so if uh, someone came to you um, really excited about what you do and want, want you to come to their organization, um, but they have to explain um, to their leadership, CEO or CFO, someone on that level, um, why... How would they get gained buy-in? Like, how would they explain it so this would lead to greater sustainability in their overall strategy for not just for well-being but their organization? Yeah. So, how would they explain what uh, what we do in terms of how that leads to more sustainability? Yeah, just um, in terms of how would it help the organization? Like, why would they want? How would they convince um, uh, their boss, their leadership, to bring you in? Yeah. Well, I think first of all is, you know, I've really 
gathered um, all the best research that's out there and, and also have um, partnered with ProChange Behavior Systems to measure the impact um, using evidence-based um, measurement tools um, to measure the impact of, of managers on the move, um, and then really kind of reframe that in uh, programs that are, are very user-friendly and um, that are engaging. Uh, I mean, kind of case in point, um, one organization that we did some work with, uh, the, the organizer afterwards, she said, other lunch and learns try to get people to interact Yours mm -hmm. actually did. So just, <laughs> it, it's so simple, great. but you know, I, I know how to actually get people to engage, whether it's senior leaders or it's managers or it's the everyday employee within an organization. Um, and then, uh, you know, by using um, innovative approaches like thinking about how do we engage managers in a meaningful way where we, um, you know, this Managers on the Move program is really leadership development meets well-being. Mm -hmm. And um, how do we create more of a sustainable um, movement um, with these managers and, you know, really helping them, giving them one example of another of small things that they can do on an ongoing basis in those three domains of of do speak and create. And then the, the other piece that I should add is with tools like the book, um, Workplace Wellness That Works, um, that is a sustainable tool and resource for organizations. I, I mean, I cannot tell you the number of people who have come up to me and said, this is our Bible. This is the template that we've been using at our organization to build our, our, our well-being strategy. And um, But then the other piece is that um, started licensing the content that we uh, have developed. So both um, mm. for the Workplace Wellness That Works content and um, so a large insurance provider has um, licensed that content and will now be delivering that content as a training program for their uh, the employer groups that they work with across the state. And, um, and then also starting to license the content from managers on the move. So really looking to scale up in, in that way as well. And then, I, and then the other piece is that I'm working on my second book now, which is more specifically focused on engaging managers as these leaders of well-being within mm -hmm. the organization. Um, I love how it's spreading. Um, and mm. uh, I, you know, I'm wondering, um, it, uh, the topic is uh, workplace well-being, what we're talking about right now. But I feel like it's all—it's good advice for anything <laughs> in an organization. Totally. So, like you know, you said leadership development plus well-being, and the two I think always have to go hand in hand. But it's—it's it's a leadership development that um, I think uh, is a big—it's uh, um, really attractive. Uh, Absolutely, and this really ties with one of my key strategies in Workplace Wellness That Works, which is this idea of, quote, going stealth. Mm -hmm. So the idea that rather than trying to sell a standalone wellness program that in, and trying to get people to participate that in that program and using all kinds of silly incentives to get people into those programs, that to instead just look for quote, stealth opportunities within the organization, and that is programs and initiatives that are already up and running, and those initiatives that are taken seriously like leadership development. So most 
organizations have some kind of leadership development program. And that in most organizations, that's a high priority. Mm-hmm. And so it's much more effective to uh, provide, you know, here is a leadership development program, namely Managers on the Move, um, that incorporates concepts of well-being, but it's really centered around helping these managers to become more effective leaders and helping them to build higher-performing teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, is there, um, are there any other um, points you'd like to make about um, uh, what's in the book, uh, Workplace Wellness Network? Yeah. Yeah, so the book is just very simply organized around this big idea of uh, instead of starting a program, starting a movement of well-being within your organization, and it's really geared toward anybody within the organization who's wanting some ideas on how do I get started, and then how do I build this movement, and then how do I keep the movement going. And so there are 10 steps organized into these three big categories of start it, build it, and make it last. And so the the first part of the book really focuses on ideas like shifting your mindset from expert to agent of change. So I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I've got to be an expert before I do anything. And it's like, no, 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 you don't actually. It's really about how can you – channel your best Oprah Winfrey Winfrey and (laughs) a a movement that moves people within Mm -hmm. your organization. And then, um, you know, thinking about ideas like, you know, helping people to imagine what's possible and uncovering the hidden factors as in how can you look at the culture? Uh, Is this a culture that's likely to either support or sabotage your efforts? And then um, the fourth piece of starting it is to, as we talked about earlier, this idea of of starting with with what's right, helping people to identify what am I first and foremost doing right and how do I build on that? And then moving into kind of how do we really build this um, movement is to uh, what I call take a da Vinci approach to change. So who are all the, you know, how do you cross over into different departments and really create a multidisciplinary team to build this movement? And then how do you go stealth? How do you look for ways to integrate well-being into programs and initiatives that are already up and running. And then the last part is really focused on how do you, how do you make it last. So things like shifting away from incentives and instead thinking more about how do I create meaning by tapping into those deep intrinsic motivators like uh, the need for autonomy or the need for relatedness, you know, being in connection with other people. And then really moving into that piece, I call it design nudges and cues, which is how do you create environmental and cultural prompts that really help to make well-being the new norm, if you will, the new normal within the organization and so that the building itself, the environment itself really enhances well-being. And then the ninth is, uh, step is to um, launch and iterate, so really encouraging people to take more of an experimental approach towards this and, and more of an iterative one. And then finally, the, the last one being the one that we talked about as well, uh, about this idea of going global, like how can I think about uh, borrowing best practices on an international level? So things like, you know, how can I learn from the Blue Zones research, for example, mm-hmm. and yep. bring some of those concepts to the work that I'm doing within my organization. Mm. So um, it, it, it's, it's just so um, tight. 
I, it's, it's just like the nuts and bolts are so <laughs> together, <laughs> and um, and I feel like we I I could go deeper into each one, and um, but I don't. We could go on for hours, and we don't want a podcast that's a few hours long. <laughs> I want to I want to know, um, and we want to you know leave things uh, for the actual training and for when people come here, you speak. Uh, do you? Um, is there anything I didn't ask, or um, an example you'd like to share? Um, anything I didn't cover? Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think the thing that strikes me the most is just how simple this work can be. And yet, because it's so simple, I think it's often difficult to do. And, and so some of the best examples of well-being I have discovered completely by accident. So mm-hmm. For example, I was leading a workshop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and during one of the breaks, one of the participants, he pulled me aside and he said, hey, you know, um, you know, I'm the, 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 the president of the local United Way here, and um, there's a, you know, our, our um, CFO um, a number of years ago, you know, she decided that she wanted to get in better shape. She quit smoking and she wanted to get in better shape. And she so she had this idea of, of um, walking a mile every day when she was at work. And so she mapped out a, a route indoors and outdoors. And, and then she got her coworkers to join her in on this. And, oh, by the way, we've been doing this now for 12 years. 12 <laughs> years. Like every day they walk together for a mile. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And there's like, you know, there's no outside expert that's setting this up. They just do this. Or mm-hmm. it, it, another example is we were, um, I was running a Managers on the Move workshop um, for the Wisconsin Resource Center, which is actually a secure mental health facility in the state of Wisconsin. And, and um this company called Myron Construction Company, which is an amazing company, um, they provided the space for this training. And during the training, um, I asked people to, to go on a walking meeting, and, and they came back from this walking meeting, and they said, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe it. We're walking around this space. And um, first of all, they have a dream board. They have this board in the middle of the company that says, before I die, I want to blank. Oh, yes. and It's a chalkboard, and people write their ideas there and then they said oh and by the way we were walking around and we met this guy Eric Marco who's their on-site dream coach and I'm like what that's crazy (laughs) so it's just all of these just super simple things that don't cost any money and Mm -hmm. really make a big difference in people's lives and and then the the final example is a, a guy named Mike Clawson who's with the city of Sioux Falls and uh, they, City of Sioux Falls also brought in the Managers on the Move workshop, and, and um, he's the fire battalion chief there, and he was sharing afterwards. He said, you know, now I find myself asking different kinds of questions of my team members. I'm asking them more what, what he characterized as real questions. Mm-hmm. So asking them questions like, what are, you, what are you most thankful for, or what motivates you, or if you could go anywhere, where would it be? And it's, so I just think <laughs> That it's so simple and it doesn't cost anything in many cases, and um, but it makes a big difference in people's quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that really inspire me. And it really comes from a place of people feeling like that they can in fact be 
those agents of change and that in small ways they can make a difference in their own well-being but also for the people around them and for the organization that they work with. Oh, thank you, Laura, for um, doing the work you do and providing the confidence in people to be doing this kind of um, real people work. <laughs> Is that what I would call it? Like, you know, people to people work. Um, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast interview um, before our November 2018 conference, I hope it inspires you to sign up for Laura's training. If it's afterwards, please get her book um, and seek her out. Um, and maybe she'll come to your location. So um, how can people get in touch with you, Laura? Yeah. They can certainly get in touch with me by going to the website, motioninfusion.com, as well as lauraputnam.com. So both websites, and people can also either email me directly, which is laura at motioninfusion.com. And then I'm also very active on social media and um, love having conversations with people on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and um, Facebook as well as Instagram. So I welcome all of those. So my handle on, motion, uh, on uh, Twitter is at Motion Infusion. On Instagram, it's at Laura Putnam Author. And, um, and LinkedIn, you can just search for my name. Um, as well, and Facebook, um, both my name as well as Motion Infusion. Um, and I'd like to add that um, you can find um, Laura's work on our website under the resources section, both in the library and helpful links. So um, many, many ways to get in touch. Thank you so much for spending time today and sharing what you do. Thank you so much, Rita. Okay. Have a good day. So.